Welcome to the Tash Show Podcast. Are you an artist? Well, apparently you could be. There's a, a piece of art that is on sale in Miami right now. Mm-hmm. This kind of stuff drives me nuts. I knew everyone's looked at some of this art that sells for thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And you think to yourself, I could do that. Yeah. I could have painted that. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, I think everybody listening right now could have made this piece of artwork. It's titled Comedian. That's the name of the artwork. It's on display right now. There's actually been three in this series, and two of them have already sold for $120,000 a piece. And the last one is now on sale. Because it's the last one, it's, it's going for a little more. $150,000 is the price tag. The artwork consists of a banana duct-taped to the wall. Give me a break. That's it. It's by an artist named Maruzio Catalan, who is Italian, and he's the guy who made the... Remember there was a story about a toilet made of gold? Yeah. He, he made the toilet... Uh, was it for Donald Trump or something, or am I no, mistaken? No, it was a commentary. It was called, like, uh, America or something. Okay, okay. Uh, a while back. It ended up getting stolen. Somebody stole the toilet. It was worth well, that. Was, so they, they that made, was an 18 karat gold toilet. Yeah. So I guess her next piece of art was the least stealable thing. Like it's all just duct tape and a banana. So nobody's yeah, going to steal this one. Oh, it's it, a guy. It's a guy. The artist okay. is a man. And uh, he's, he's now duct taped three bananas that he purchased at a grocery store to the wall. Calls it comedian. And... Uh, it's a real banana. There's no word on what you do when the banana starts to decompose. Yeah. It's just duct tape, and that's not art. The gallery founder says that the, the piece of art is a symbol of global trade, a double entendre, as well as a classic device for humor, adding that the artist turns mundane objects into vehicles for both delight and critique. Shut up, you pretentious douche <laughs> i agree on the critique part <laughs> look i have a banana right here oh tape it to the wall give me one hundred fifty thousand dollars for it that is so annoying <laughs> and you know they're just so proud of themselves and there's all these hoity-toity people they're looking at it and marveling oh this is such a well, look, such a statement people are coming out taking pictures posting it on instagram here's two girls posing with the banana t- duct tape to the wall like it's the latest Banksy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I bet you the janitor didn't have a lunch pail, and then he duct taped his banana to the wall while he swept the floor, and then the artist was like, ooh, I'm going to say is. that's mine. Inspiration <laughs> comes at you fast. $150,000 so for a banana duct taped to the wall. Van Gogh would cut off his other ear if he saw this thing. He'd be so outraged. Yeah, Monet. Uh, I just spent like <laughs> 17 months painting this thing. <laughs> and you duct tape a banana to the wall? Also, what's duct tape? <laughs> <laughs> and next up in the series, he's going to uh, nail an apple to a door. <laughs> That would be, I could totally see it. It's no different than duct taping a banana to a wall. Unbelievable. Have a good day at work. 
slugging it out for uh, for your wage while this guy's taping bananas to a wall and making $150,000 pop. Is there a better scandal for a guy to be involved in than this one here? Holy cow. Good for Jason Derulo. I don't, I've heard the name. I don't really know who he is. Jim, can you help me out? Who's Jason Derulo? Okay, so. He, he's got that song. Oh, that's not the one I'm looking for. Talk Dirty to Me? You know what's that? Talk Dirty to Me. Hold on a second. But he's a pop musician, yeah. right? Yeah, I've heard that song. Totally. Where's the... There's the, uh, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. The old, I don't know, trumpet solos. Okay, so Jason Derulo posted a picture of himself on Instagram. They took it down because they said it uh, violates their community guidelines on nudity or sexual activity. The picture was Jason Derulo uh, wearing a pair of tight short shorts. And he seems to be <laughs> pointing to the east. If you know what I mean. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen this photo yet. You can see the outline of his junk. <laughs> totally see the outline of his junk. Yeah. And it's not small. <laughs> okay, hold on a second here. All right. No, it's definitely not. He's uh, ready for action, let's say. That's not... You don't think that's... You think that he fluffed it up a little bit. That's definitely fluffing. He says it's not. Uh, Instagram, their thinking was that... Any sort of erection is not allowed to be posted on Instagram. That's all Instagram is. Not necessarily erections, but butts. Women's butts and women's boobs Cleavage, everywhere. Yeah. Even the workout videos are basically softcore porn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see hard nipples on there. Totally. This is sexist. <laughs> Listen to you. Tim's been looking for an opportunity yeah. to jump all over something. <laughs> this is our time. <laughs> Jason Derulo. Poor Jason Derulo. When's he going to catch a break? <laughs> I, I I don't believe. I I think uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is how he, on a cold day, this is what his package looks like. But <laughs> I, I kind of agree with you. I think there was... He slapped it around a little bit before <laughs> that picture was taken. There is no way. Something, I mean, it looked like... There is no way that's just, okay, I'll take my pants off and that's... Yeah. Maybe. It's, hey. Dude, if he, he couldn't walk if that was just it normal. Okay? <laughs> right. That's not good on him, but I don't, sure. I, don't, I don't get why it's taken down. Well, Jason Derulo posted the notice that he got from Instagram and captioned it. I can't help my size. <laughs> he re uh, re Instagram the the photo, and they haven't taken that one down. As mm. as you can tell by Jim's reaction, because he's looking at it right now. <laughs> can't stop looking, Taz. <laughs> <laughs> Who complained though? Like if you're following Jason Derulo. You want to see this, don't you? Like, what's the like? Who it's is a upset? Bonus. It's a little Christmas bonus yeah, for you. Heavy on the bone. <laughs> Maybe if your maybe if your daughter was watching it or ha was following right, him and you looked yeah. over his shoulder and said, What the hell what is this? What are you looking at? Yeah. That thing is like three D. That's uh Jason DeRuler to measure that thing. <laughs> More like Jason Demeter stick. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, but what a lucky guy, eh? <laughs> <laughs> not only does he have, not only is he packing, now everybody knows. Yeah, he's he's rich, he's famous, and now he's involved in a your penis is too big scandal. want to see you Time for sports with Devin Peacock. Okay, let's move to baseball and this weird deal that Tampa was trying to work out with Montreal. Yeah, so the Tampa Bay Rays were trying to do home games between uh, Tampa and Montreal. So it would start with the half the year in Tampa, then the other half the year in Montreal. Both Florida and Montreal would have to build new stadiums for them. So they get two new stadiums for the price of one. <laughs> St. Petersburg uh, mayor has now said, no, we're not going to do that. You guys, onto your contract. You're going to be here till 2027. So the earliest this could happen is 2028. I personally hope baseball never returns to Montreal. Wow. I know, I know there's a bunch of people who, you know, walk around with their Expos hats and they're like, you know, hipsters and they're super cool because they like <laughs> baseball before the Blue Jays came around. And that's when baseball was at its purest in Canada. But we remember how baseball ended in Montreal. Nothing has changed that needs that would require a team to be successful. First off, you need a new stadium. Second of all, all the corporate support in this country is behind Toronto. They didn't have enough fan support. Whenever the Blue Jays play their preseason games in Montreal now, they used to sell out. Now they're down to 25,000, 30,000. So they're not even coming out for those games. Like baseball in Montreal was great back in the 70s and early 80s, and then it wasn't. Like, they draft a lot of guys, but I'm not exactly clamoring for more Montreal Expos games. I'm sorry, all Expos fans out there. I don't care about baseball returning to Montreal. And, I hope it goes to Winnipeg. <laughs> and beside that fact, the whole, let us, it, what a road to start walking down where you have teams playing half a season here and half a season there. That seems ridiculous to me. Also, I mean, it also kind of, it's kind of weird that like, you're, a, you're a city that lost your team to another city, and now you're openly just trying to steal someone else's team. <laughs> like, you know, all right, it's like, it's like all the millennials who are upset about being called millennials, and so they start just yelling, okay, boomer to everybody. It's like, <laughs> yeah. give me a break. Yeah, it, your, your World Series champion team is not coming back to Montreal. Yeah, I'm so sorry. So you're just going to take someone else's team for half the year? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Disney does not have enough baby Yodas for the holiday season. Yeah. They said to meet the man, they'll be uh, painting sweatshop workers green. Is <laughs> <laughs> a story yesterday. Um, I guess, and smart, they didn't want uh, the whole baby Yoda thing to leak out before the Mandalorian started airing on Disney Plus. So they didn't make any baby Yoda toys. Oh, now, okay. unfortunately. Uh, everyone's going Baby Yoda crazy right now, and Christmas is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. You can pre-order your Baby Yoda toys, but they're not going to be ready until after Christmas. So your child is going to wake up to an envelope? An IOU. IOU one <laughs> Baby Yoda stuffy. <laughs> what? Uh, Santa's dropping off the IOUs this year. <laughs> A Dunner, who does the afternoon show here on FM 96, was talking about this on the air yesterday. And I guess she was, she was teeing up the story and said there's bad news uh, coming up regarding Baby Yoda. Now, one of our listeners sent a very disappointed message to the Facebook fan page after hearing that. Oh, yeah. Jeff got real upset. This is the message. So this afternoon I was listening 
uh, to Dunner, and she started to say, so bad news if you're a fan of Baby Yoda. Coming up, I immediately turned off the radio and turned on my iPod and gave up on FM96 for the rest of my drive. Do you mind? What's with the careless attempt at spoilers? I love The Mandalorian and want to see what happens for myself when the future episodes actually air. Comment all you want when they do, and it's common knowledge and fair game. But until then, STFU. Shut the... Front unit. (laughs) Shut the fudge up. Yeah. (laughs) So I just responded and said, relax. I heard it too. She was teasing a story about how you can't buy the official Baby Yoda toy until spring because it's so popular. I highly doubt Dunner would just spout spoilers all willy-nilly. Yeah. Yeah. She's not going to start yelling. Uh, Bad news if you're a fan of Baby Yoda dies in episode five. No need to watch. Turns out it's really Jar Jar Banks with a mask on. <laughs> it's been a Jedi mind trick the whole time, and Baby Yoda doesn't actually exist. Figment of the Mandalorian's imagination. <laughs> I'm gonna feel terrible if any of those. No, things yeah, are we're just. I, I didn't we're, even think about it till now. We're making that up. Uh, none of that, as far as we know, gonna happen on on your show, Jeff. <laughs> but uh, the bad news is you can't buy. A baby Yoda bobblehead until uh, until the new year. Maybe the spoiler was he really wanted one for Christmas, and now he knows. Yeah. That he, he sat on Santa's one. lap at the mall, said, "I want a baby Yoda." Santa said, "We'll see." <laughs> and spoiler alert, Jeff, you're just getting an IOU. Okay, <laughs> Jim, how are you feeling today? Uh, uh, average. Yeah, you wake up feeling good. <laughs> According to a new study. Um, people wake up in a bad mood 300 days a a year, 300 (laughs) days a year, which is 82% of the entire year. Mm -hmm. You're waking up in a bad mood. You think that's high? It seems high to me. I'd say it's low. Poor people. (laughs) You wake up in a bad mood every day? Every single day, even a weekend. I don't know. I never want to get out of bed. Monday to Friday, I, I wake up in a, I wouldn't say a bad mood, but there's... Days that I definitely am not feeling it. Mm-hmm. Weekends, though, I'm usually in a pretty good mood. I guess so. Unless you had too many uh, too many beers the night before or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's the thing. You wake up, why did I do that last night? Oh, I'm so dumb. Ah, that's how I, I feel. I'm never doing it again <laughs> until this afternoon. <laughs> uh, this uh, study was done by a website called CoEd. says uh, the reason people are always in a bad mood when they wake up They've had a bad or strange dream, which wakes them up 1.4 times a week on average. I enjoy waking up to a bad dream. Well, because then it means it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I love that re- moment of realization. I, I find it very satisfying. You're like, oh, wait, all my teeth didn't fall out. Yeah. Oh, I didn't <laughs> knock up those three people. Oh, oh I'm not going to jail. <laughs> I didn't bury Jim's body in the woods. <laughs> Pardon? I mean, nothing. <laughs> He's dead. I just didn't bury him. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Uh, Loud noise wakes them up from a solid sleep. That's another reason people uh, are in a bad mood when they wake up. That would be annoying. Too hot. It's just too hot in here. I get that. Or too cold is the other big complaint. Hmm. 
when I'm in a bad mood when I wake up, it's just basically because I got to get out of bed. I got to do something. That's the that's the thing. I'd love to sleep another three or four hours. I was just the worst person to get out of bed growing up. Like I would lay in bed and my dad would be like, time to get up. And I would never get up, mostly because he'd want me to work for him that day. Uh-huh. Sometimes he'd go, get time to get up, leave the room, go downstairs. I wouldn't come down. He'd come back up. I'd be gone. I'd be sleeping in the closet thinking he wouldn't check there. <laughs> And then the closet doors just rip yeah, open. Yeah. Hey! He grabs you by the <laughs> ear and pulls you downstairs. Mama Taz used to utilize the old, um, on Saturday mornings, oh God, I hated it. I haven't thought about this in years. She would barge into the room. Wakey, wakey. Up and at him. Up and at him. <laughs> in the best mood. Yeah. She'd open the curtains so the sun is now shining in. Yeah. And then if I didn't get out of bed, she'd return about five minutes later with the vacuum and start vacuuming, not just my room, but like under the bed. (laughs) So it's like hitting the frame. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was in a bad mood those days for sure. (laughs) 300 days a year. People are waking up in a bad mood. So if uh, that sounds about accurate for you, don't worry. You're not the only one. And we've got John Bernans on the phone, the president of the local chapter for the Union of Public High School Teachers. John, good morning. Good morning. Uh, obviously, the teachers back to work yesterday. Everyone was talking about the the strike, the public high school teachers strike. How do you feel the things went yesterday with the the teacher strike? Well, certainly uh, it was something that nobody wanted to do, but uh, we had a lot of public support. Uh, you know, uh, the things, the, our, sorry, I'm a little bit tongue-tied this morning, um, but our members were, uh, were in good spirits, and, uh, and they, they really felt like they were on the right side of this. You say there's a lot of public support. How do you guys gauge uh, public support? Well, just anecdotally on the line, certainly there was uh, folks dropping off um, treats for the workers. There was a lot of honking, and uh, we know through polling and through the government's own consultations that over 70% of Ontarians don't support the increase in class sizes, and they don't support mandatory e-learning. So we know uh, with hard data that the public is is on our side, we think, in this one. Uh, we we were talking about this yesterday, and we had some teachers contact us and say, we don't know what we're talking about. And uh, I, I guess the, the best question we have for you then is, what exactly are you guys after with this contract negotiation? Well, we're after the government returning the staffing levels to what what they were last year. It's been that way, as I said yesterday, uh, for 20 years. Mike Harris brought in the 22 to 1, and it's been working. This government has announced uh, a 28 to 1 um, average class size, and and then they announced the 25 to 1 and said, hey, we've, in, we've decreased class sizes, and that's just not genuine. Uh, we know that, they, that they're proposing an increase in class size from 22 to 1 to 25 to 1. Uh, the mandatory e-learning... Uh, there's no data to support that. The government is following in the footsteps of Alabama, which is 49th out of 50 states in terms of public education. It's an untested process for delivering curriculum that has no research to support it. We're asking that the government study it and determine whether it makes sense to do what they're proposing and and to treat e-learning. And e-learning is happening now 
to with various degrees of success within the current system, and that's working. But we would ask them to study it before going any further. Uh, we're asking for the government to make sure that the staffing levels for our uh, professional uh, folks who support students with special needs are there. Um, and, you know, to be fair, we are asking for um, a cost-of-living adjustment, not to make up for any lost uh, uh, lost wages due to losses to uh, uh, CPI, but to, to rather just make it so we don't lose any more. That's, yeah, that, that that's, that's where the, uh, the conflict seemed to start yesterday, is the fact that we mentioned that you guys are asking for a pay increase. You're asking for more money. Uh, and yeah, there's a, a lot of things that people can get behind and there's some mm-hmm. people, things people may not agree with. And, sure. you know, it's tough to get everyone on your side for every single issue you have, right. but you are asking for some more money. It's true. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the nature of contract negotiations. We're, we're asking for a cost of living adjustment so we don't fall any further behind um, behind cost of living. Now, and to be fair, I mean, a lot of people are talking about teachers. There's a lot of people who aren't teachers who are in this fight. Yeah. We have in Thames Valley con- continuing education instructors who all make less than $40,000 a year. Right. Uh, and uh, they, they're they asking not to fall any further behind. Um, but, you know, I don't want to dwell on that because certainly if, if you want to get out and walk the line with, with our members yesterday in the cold, it, you know, they're all giving up a day's salary. They're focused on the quality of education. That's the issue that they are on the line for. And if I, I actually don't understand why it's even at the bargaining table. The yeah. public has clearly told the government they don't support increases in class sizes. They clearly told the government they don't support mandatory e-learning. I don't understand why we have to bargain that. I don't understand why the government isn't just listening to the people of Ontario, changing, rolling back the cuts, and then meeting with us to talk about things that should be bargaining issues. Well, it is it is more complicated than that because I, I'm on for for lower class sizes. As someone who's going to be sending his kid to uh, to public school next year, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I want my kid to get as much attention as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a special needs standpoint, I know that uh, I util- utilized a resource teacher when I was uh, in elementary school mm-hmm. quite a bit, and I think it's very important. But you know, it's a, you hear stuff like it's it's for the betterment of the education system, and and they're doing this for the kids. Really, you're doing it for for yourselves as well. And like, there's other things you could do if you're concerned about bettering the education system. You could get rid of bad teachers, or make it easier for the government to get rid of bad teachers. Well, look, there is a. a a process for evaluating teachers, the teacher performance appraisal process. The board does make use of it, and uh, if they find that a teacher is is not competent, then they terminate them, and, and I've been through that process, and it does happen. So the concept that that's impossible is just false. Uh, I can tell you because I've been through it. So, you know, I, I understand what where you're going with that, but I have to say that uh, our teachers work really hard. Our teachers and education workers work really hard, and this is about the quality of education. Uh, you, you can say it's about something else, but that's just not genuine. You go in and walk the line with our members, and and they're they're out there in the cold, um, and they're giving up their pay, and they're not doing it uh, because of any other reason than this is about the quality of education. We've got John Bernans on the phone. He's the president of the uh, local chapter, the Union for the Public High School Teachers, talking about the uh, one-day strike yesterday. Uh, so would you guys, in terms of making concessions to ensure that no further striking happens, 
Would you guys be able to or be willing uh, to give up the the pay increase if it meant the class sizes would remain at the level you want them to remain at and the resource teachers and the special uh, needs funding stays there? Well, I think the government should bring that to the table. The government should should take off the take, roll back the cuts at bring them to bring that to the table. If they want to say this is just about salary, then take the cuts off the table and and take away that argument. Say and then they can argue that this is only about salary. But they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to to take the cuts off the table. They want us to bargain cuts. So any change from last year's staffing is a is a cut to education. It's a cut to the quality of education. So they want they they are stuck on we must agree to reduce the quality of education in Ontario, and we're not agreeing to that. Um, in a province where we're incredibly in debt, the cuts the cuts are happening because we need to cut some out of our budget. I mean, if it doesn't come from the education budget, it's going to come from the police, the firefighters, the nurses. Why do you guys think that you should be uh, immune to, to, to cuts? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't efficiencies within the education system. We have proposed some. The, the government has dismissed them out of hand. Um, some ways of, of saving money. Uh, so, and I will say that I don't know why uh, for 20 years this class size ratio has worked and all of a sudden now it's unsustainable. I just don't understand that, that perspective. Maybe it's, there's something I'm missing there. Uh, certainly we've done, the Conference Board of Canada released their report that said every dollar invested in education returns a dollar thirty to the economy. So the economic case for it is, is shaky at best. Uh, so you know, I, understand, I understand the fiscal realities. I would say that the government completely overstated the deficit. They, they claim in their economic report that the uh, economy is, is firing on all fours on all cylinders. And uh, now they're saying, despite that, there needs to be these sacrifices, and they're asking our students to make them. And, uh, and we're, not, we're not prepared to have that happen. John, uh, is there anything else, because we were told yesterday by, uh, by some teachers that we didn't understand what's going on. Is there anything else that you want to say that maybe people do not understand about this strike before we, uh, we let you go here? Well, what I hope they understand uh, is around the class sizes, the, that the average. So the average of 22. I know people are saying, thinking at home, well, I was in a class of 30. I don't understand. Why, why, why are we saying the class average needs to be 20? Yeah, yeah I was. I was yeah. in a class of 30. They're also saying, well, yeah. these teachers have like five EAs in the class anyways, helping them out. And, well, uh, so, so I want to be clear that we do have classes of 30 now, 30, 32. That, that's very common in Thames Valley to have classes of that size. So on a 22 to 1, uh, a class of, of 32 is quite possible, and in fact, they're very common. Uh, when you increase the class size to 20, uh, an average of 25 to 1, you're, you're incre- those classes of 32, those become 35s and even bigger. Uh, part of the government's proposal as well is to remove all caps on class sizes. So, you know, if you go back far enough, there were... Uh, places where there were no caps on classes, and I, and I taught, you know, students that 
had a lot of difficulties, and, and those I had classes of 36, and, and you know, we don't want to go back to those battle days. Uh, I don't want to see uh, technology classes where there are saws and things like that, and with 26 in the class, it's just not safe. So uh, understand that it doesn't mean classes are going to be 25 when they say the average is 25. Mm. You go up to places where they, have, they haven't implemented that in Thames Valley. The school board is $4.6 million in deficit this year to support uh, the class sizes. But in places where they have moved higher than, uh, than here in terms of their average, they do have classes that are, are in the high 30s. Um, in other places in Toronto where they were in the 40s. So... Uh, you know, it's not about 25. It's not about 22. It's, the, it's an average which generates staff that allows the system to function and students to get good service. I just have one quick last question. There's a lot of people, we're getting texts right now and tweets and stuff like that, people complaining that teachers make 90, some teachers make 90 to $100,000 a year. That seems like, uh, that doesn't seem true. I don't know where they're getting these stats. What is the average salary for a teacher in Ontario? You know, I do think it's overstated, but I don't have that number, and I don't want to uh, pretend that I that I have it. I don't have it at my fingertips. Okay. I apologize. I'd have to look that up. Is it a, is it a fallacy? Because here's another one. Uh, ask how many teachers are going to be on the sunshine list next year if they get the pay increase. Are there going to be teachers popping up on the sunshine For list next year? Principals, maybe. I, I, you know, there may be some some folks on the Sunshine List that may be. Uh, certainly, if the Sunshine List is is getting to be a rather long list. We know that most firefighters and, and uh, police officers are on the Sunshine List. Uh, so, I mean, will there be some? I suspect there will be. Um, so, uh, and, and I hear that's the argument about salary. And I want to be clear that uh, our members are are doing what they're doing in support of the quality of education. And, and if, the, if the government wants to take the cuts off the table and, and then we're just talking about salary, then they can make the argument that this is just about salary. But our members all gave up a day's salary yesterday, and the minister made his full salary yesterday, and he was not out in the cold. He was in a warm studio talking about how our members only care about salary, and it's just not true. All right, John. Uh, the president, local chapter of the Union for Public High School Teachers. Gotta say, wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for some great teachers. I'd, you oh, know. you'd be way further ahead. It's <laughs> no, <I'm just laughs> not true. It's uh, next to my parents. Teachers have been the most influential people in my life. Sure. And I'm not trying to slag on you guys. I appreciate you coming on and help us uh, understand the situation. You know how tough it is when people are inconvenienced when their kids have to stay home from school to get that public support. So hopefully you're able to garner some this morning, John. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, guys. That's the Taz Show podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And remember, you can tune in on the radio, 95.9 on the uh, dial in the London area. That's FM 96 or FM 96.com.